Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you once again by the makers of Skylight Frame, the gift that keeps on giving all year round. An ingenious touchscreen Wi-Fi enabled digital picture frame that allows you to email your latest photos directly to those you care about most, no matter the distance. Not only will Skylight Frame allow you to stay connected, to the most important people in your life, tonight they have a special offer just for my listeners. I'll be back after tonight's second story to tell you more about what makes Skylight Frame so unique, and about our team's experience with what is bound to be the perfect Mother's Day gift coming up this month. Until then, snuggle up with a nice warm blanket and get cozy. I've got some hair-raising imagery of my own to conjure tonight. And it's not the sort you'd want to send to your mother. Or is it? <laughs> Stay tuned. This show is about to begin. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 18, I'm your host, Otis Gyre. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing five stories for you about roadside regrets, haunting history, municipal mysteries, dangers in the dark, and hidden horrors. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this, and other episodes with twice the terror, 
Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. (laughs) Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of author Blair Daniels. Without further ado, I present to you, I picked up a hitchhiker. I was driving through rural New Jersey when I saw him. A hitchhiker standing by the side of the road, surprisingly well-dressed. Black suit, slicked-back hair, narrow briefcase. Now, I know I shouldn't pick up hitchhikers, but I'm six foot four, 230 pounds, with all kinds of hunting equipment in the back of my truck. It's not like this prissy-ass businessman is going to beat me to death and leave me on the side of the road. Besides, I need gas money. Hey, man, I said, pulling over to the side of the road. I'll give you a lift if you pay me for gas. Of course, he said in a polite, almost British accent. He reached for his wallet and pulled out three crisp $20 bills. Is this enough? I grinned. It's way more than enough. I greedily snatched the money from him and clicked the locks. Get in, bud. He climbed in. His blue eyes shifted from the crumpled Wendy's wrapper on the dashboard to the mysterious sticky goo on the middle console. Oh, sorry, the car's not clean. I'm going hunting. I said, turning back onto the highway. Hunting. Interesting. He said in a strangely enthusiastic tone. Have you always liked to hunt? Now it's the funniest thing. Never thought I'd ever hunt. Love animals. Got three dogs at home. But there are so many deer around these parts when the winter comes. A lot of them starve to death, not to mention all the car accidents they cause. I trailed off and we fell into uncomfortable silence. Just hunting for the day, then. No, my buddy Matt and I will be out there the whole weekend. He let out a laugh. The whole weekend? Your wife's a saint for letting you go. My wife? Out of heat. But then my eyes fell on the steering wheel and the silver ring on my finger. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mary's a doll. She's actually pregnant, you know. Five months with a little girl. He gave me a crooked smile. A girl, huh? Yeah. I could feel him staring at me long after we had fallen into silence. It made me feel uncomfortable. I clicked on the radio. How did you meet, Matt? He asked, fiddling with the dial. All that came through was static. That's a weird question, I thought. Well, um, he and Mary were close friends. So, when he got married, I got to know him well. Mm-hmm, the man said. He stroked his chin, thoughtfully. And I was suddenly reminded of a psychiatrist. Are you a psychiatrist? I blurted out. He laughed. <laughs> Definitely not. I work in finance. What type of finance? It was my turn to ask questions now. In futures, he replied noncommittally. I glanced over at him. A small smile was on his lips, and I noticed his fingers had gravitated from his lap to the briefcase at his feet. My heart began to pound. Click, click. He undid the clasps. The case creaked open. What's in your briefcase, I asked. Work. What kind of? His long fingers disappeared into the darkness of the case. He was pulling something out. My body began to seize up. The steering wheel felt like ice under my fingers. I have a lot of hunting equipment back there, I said, so you better not be... I stopped. He was only pulling out a sheet of paper. For a few minutes, he was quiet, reading the paper intently and silently, as if his life depended on it. Scratch, scratch. His fingers slid over it as they traced the text. Then he slipped it back into the case and snapped it shut. What was he reading, I thought. But before I could get the question out, he turned towards me, 
I could barely see his face in my peripheral vision, but I knew he was staring at me for minutes on end. Then he broke the silence. Don't go hunting, he said, his ice-blue eyes boring into me. What? Turn the car around. Go home to Mary. What? She needs you. He paused. Madeline needs you. I paled. I never told him we were going to name our baby Madeline. How did you... He's going to make it look like an accident, he said, his voice gravelly and halting. Just a simple hunting accident. Most punishment he'll endure is 35 minutes in the police station, writing out his statement. But let me off at that diner up ahead. I like the cob salad very much. Matt's going to kill me? What are you talking about? He turned to me, eyes wide. What are you talking about? About what you just said. All I said is I'd like you to let me off at the diner, please. He pointed to the exit, curving off the highway. You're going to miss it if you don't slow down. With a shaking hand, I clicked on my blinker, pulled off the exit into the parking lot. My heart pounded in time with the click-click-clicks of the cooling engine. Thank you for the ride, he said, pulling his briefcase out with him. Have a good drive, will you? I couldn't speak out a reply before the door slammed shut. I didn't believe him, but my nerves were too shot to continue the trip, either. I texted Matt that I was sick, turned around, and went home to Mary. Mary was thrilled. Matt was disappointed. A little too disappointed, if you ask me. A month later, after ignoring most of Matt's calls and texts, which became increasingly frequent and desperate, I heard a faint thumping noise at the door. When I flicked on the porch light, there was Matt hunched over our doorknob, holding a lockpick. We called the police. Since then, life has been great. Just a few months later, our wonderful little Madeline was born, and as soon as we got back from the hospital, on our doorstep was a little teddy bear, a pink bow sewed on its head. There wasn't a return address or a card of any kind, but I think I know who it's from. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our second story today comes to us from author Christine O'Neill, based on a concept by Nicholas Pietro. I present to you The Living History Project. One of my least favorite parts about being a middle school history teacher is the B.S., living history assignments we give at the end of every school year. Kids are supposed to sit with their grandparents and videotape, voice record, or transcribe their oldest memories for posterity and for an easy way to bring up their GPA. I've been doing this for 17 years, and when I collected the projects this time around, I assumed they would be as dull, if not duller, than usual. This had not been a particularly bright class. So I went home, poured myself a glass of wine, and prepared for a long night of 
I only owned two pairs of pants when I was your age, and my brother got beat with a newspaper for hitting a baseball into the neighbor's yard. And, of course, these projects were peppered with innocent, old-person comments that were so horribly sexist and racist you just had to laugh. Now, I had a girl in my class whom I will call Olivia. She was quite pudgy, quiet, uh, proved herself a consistent B student. I expected her project to be unremarkable as her. And perhaps that's why I was so profoundly disturbed by what I witnessed that night. Olivia had submitted two discs for some reason, so I began with the one marked Interview. My screen hiccuped twice before a grainy image of a living room came into view. The place was a hoarder's hell. Olivia was curled up in an armchair, clutching a notebook and looking like a scared animal. Across from her sat a man with a somber countenance, smoking a cigarette and staring at her expectantly. Go ahead. A woman's voice whispered from behind the camera. Olivia's owlish eyes flashed toward the screen, then back to the man. I'm here with my great-uncle Stephen. She began almost inaudibly. He's going to tell us about his oldest memories from being in the army. Great-uncle Stephen looked like he'd rather be in a goddamn trench at the moment, but he waited patiently for her questions to begin. Not surprisingly, Olivia read verbatim from the suggested question sheet I'd handed out to the students. He answered her curtly. Once or twice, I heard her mother whisper, Speak up, Olivia, from behind the camera. Typical boring shit. So I was intrigued when Olivia set down the notebook and asked, Did you like being in the army? That was totally off script. Great Uncle Stephen emitted a chain smoker's wheeze. Nope. Glad to get out of my town, though. Where'd you go? Balkans. Uh-huh, she said. I doubted she knew what the Balkans were, and my suspicion was confirmed when she asked, Was Bacchus very different from here? Yes. Mom cleared her throat from behind the camera, perhaps encouraging Great Uncle Stephen to be a little more forthcoming. But Olivia seemed genuinely interested. Uncle Stephen, she asked, What is your very worst memory from the army? The old man crushed his cigarette in the ashtray, then slowly lifted himself out of his chair. I'll be back, he mumbled. The camera cut off. When the screen flashed back on, everything was the same, except Great Uncle Stephen had several pieces of paper in plastic sleeves laid atop all the crap sitting on his coffee table. One he held in his hand. I was a kid when I enlisted. He said, looking at Olivia. Your brother's age, he told her. Olivia nodded. I never saw combat. Both of my deployments were to cities in Eastern Europe that had been destroyed by civil wars. Everything was a mess. I felt like a janitor, for fuck's sake. <clears throat> Mom coughed. Great Uncle Stephen sighed and looked at his paper. My unit was assigned to a school that had been obliterated by all the violence. Broken windows, caved-in rooms, and for some reason, the part that got to me most was that the school had been like this for years before we got there. No one had lifted a finger to fix it. I saw kids walk by it on their way to go beg for money or whatever shit they did. The camera dipped toward the floor as I heard Mom whispered harshly at Great Uncle Stephen. I couldn't make out what she was saying, but it wasn't hard to imagine. Now, you want to hear this goddamn story or not? I heard him bark in response. Then you better let me tell it how I want. Mom, Olivia chimed, please stop interrupting. Are you presenting this in front of the class? No, Mom, we're just handing it in to the teacher. I'm sure he's heard the word shit before. Great Uncle Stephen contributed helpfully. I wasn't a he, as a matter of fact, but other than that, the statement was accurate. 
The camera was lifted, and after a couple of blurry focus adjustments, the shot was the same as before. Oh, I'm talking too much anyway, he grumbled. He lifted the piece of paper in his hand close to his face. In the basement, I found this letter. I didn't know what it said, but I had a buddy of mine translate it, so I'm going to read it now, and then I'll tell you what I saw in that basement. A chill ran down my spine. Mom zoomed in to Great Uncle Stephen in his letter. His palsied hands trembled as he held up the paper. This is what he read. Dear Sir, I never loved my country. So many of these skirmishes are born from patriotism, a power struggle for the shards of a once great empire. But I do not care what name my home has on a map. This fighting is senseless, and I stay as far away from it as I can. It was not these attacks and disorganized violence that took the lives of my wife and child. It was illness. Mercifully, it happened quickly for the baby. Nadja suffered for longer. I watched in horror, knowing I could do nothing for them. My only solace is that I was there for them every step of the way. I stopped going to work one day, and no one came after me. I doubt they noticed I was gone. Since the school was simply across a field, visible from my window, it would have been easy to go for a few hours each day and come home quickly to care for them. But what was the point? All I did was clean floors. I was as useless to the world as I was to my family. I tried to take Nadja to the hospital, but the journey was too long and taxing. I brought her home, and she died that night. After Nadja and the baby were gone, well, I don't remember much. I didn't leave my hovel, barely ate and slept, thought many times of taking my own life. Tempting, though it was, I felt paralyzed by my own helplessness. The one thing that kept me sane was my radio. I never turned it off once, even though I didn't listen to the words being said. In fact, the channel I got the clearest was in English, I think, which I don't speak a lick of. But the voices, the music, and the true knowledge that life existed beyond this violent city sustained me. I have no idea how much time passed before I saw the light of day again. I was dizzy from hunger, so finding food was my priority. My radio came with me, of course. Since I first holed myself up, it has gone everywhere with me. It talks to me as I sleep and as I wake. I don't know what it's saying, but I know I would die without it. Once I had some water and food, it occurred to me that the only thing left to do was to go back to work, so I did. The following morning, I simply returned to the school where I was a janitor and got back to work. Nobody made a big deal out of it. Like I said, Nadja had been sick for a long time, and those who worked at the school knew it. I appreciate that no one had pestered me to come back to work during the hardest days of my life. The teachers never said much to me, but we smiled at each other in the halls, and that mutual respect was perhaps the reason I decided to come back at all. The place had gone to the dogs without me, so I simply grabbed my broom and rags from my closet and set to clean. Everyone is grateful to have me back, I know, and the best part is that nobody minds my radio. I bring it with me everywhere and keep the volume low enough not to disturb the students. No one has ever complained. In fact, I suspect they like it. The schoolhouse is not very big, but does require a lot of maintenance. The floors are always sticky and stained, so I spend most of my time mopping. Kids make messes. I guess that's why I'm still in business. Sometimes I have to move things around to make sure I get every spot on the floor beautiful and clean, but I take pride in that. And the repairs. The school always needs tune-ups here and there, and I'm happy to help. Some days I'm reconstructing a desk that broke as I whistle along with the radio. Other times I handle more serious structural issues. Days when I have to work like this, I feel truly instrumental. Like a cog in a larger machine. 
How could this school survive without me? It took me a long time, but I once again feel that I have purpose. It's a larder behind the school that is full of preserved foods. In lieu of payment, I'm allowed to take as much food as I need. That arrangement is fine. What would I do with money anyway? I used to bring the food back to my house, just one field away from the school. But when I started sleeping in the basement, no one seemed to notice. This school is special to me, and I cannot leave it unguarded. When I'm besieged with memories of my wife and baby, I turn up the volume on the radio to drown out such thoughts. It works for me every time, except this morning. Because this morning, I woke up to dead silence. I frantically examined the radio to see what had happened. I honestly cannot tell you how many days in a row I've been using it. Did it simply live out its life and die naturally? I've spent the entire day trying to fix it. Most of this time I've been crying. I've been losing my mind without it. I've given myself until sundown. If I cannot fix it by then, I'm going to take my life. I'm writing this because the sunlight is starting to die and I know what my fate shall be. I've thought about taking one last walk through the halls of my school, saying goodbye to the students and teachers. I know I will be missed, but I cannot bring myself to leave this room. I cannot go anywhere knowing that my radio is dead in here. There are no more tears in me. It feels now like I can't catch my breath. I vomited what little food I had in my stomach and I am growing dizzy again, like I did after Nadja died. I'm not long for this world. But before I take my life, I've closed the door to this room and stuck a chair beneath the handle. It's the only room in the basement and has a small casement that lets in just enough light for me to see what I'm doing. If anyone is kind enough to come looking for me, they should not be met by this gruesome sight. Perhaps they'll see the doors blocked, smell my rotting body, and simply forget I ever existed. But I've placed both my radio and this note outside the door. Kind sir, if you're reading this, I have one humble request. Please fix it. Save my radio. It did not deserve to die in its sleep, and I'm ashamed that I cannot revive it. Now... I'm ready to join Nadja and little Ludmilla in heaven. I hope this school can find another janitor who loves and cares for it the way I do. The hour is now. Do not forget my radio. Stanislav. When Mom zoomed back out, Olivia had tears in her eyes. Thank you for sharing, Uncle Stephen. Mom said, her voice choked. I think we have enough. Wait, Olivia chirped. He said there's more. What did you find? Before great Uncle Stephen could open his mouth, the image disappeared. My jaw dropped. Was that it? What did great Uncle Stephen see? I promptly remembered there was a second disc. This one was unmarked, but I hoped it contained the rest of the interview. There was no video, only audio. The voice that started up was Olivia's. Uh, hi, Miss Garrity. I'm, I'm sorry about my mom, but she refused to record the rest of what my uncle was saying. But I asked him to continue and secretly recorded the story as a voice memo on my phone. I remembered you said earlier this year that history is written by the people who win wars. She sucked in a breath and commenced crying. But everyone's history is important. Even if they are sad, pathetic people, and even if they never want a single thing in their lives. I haven't slept through the night since I finished this project, but you have to hear what my uncle has to say. There were tears in my eyes, too. The sincerity of her words was beautiful. I was also flattered that she remembered some trite phrase I threw around because... It was what my history teacher said to me. Before I got too sappy over it, the audio began again. 
Fine, came Mom's frustrated voice. If you want to hear the rest of the story, fine. But this is not appropriate for a school project. Let me finish. Great Uncle Stephen snapped. If it's too much for you, help yourself to a snack in the kitchen. But Olivia wants to know what happened. I heard her mother mumble something and walk away. Olivia and her uncle were alone. I imagine her looking at him expectantly. So did you find the radio, or did it get ruined when the school got blown up? He rasped, and I heard the distinct click of a lighter. That letter, he began slowly, had a date on it. What date? She inquired hungrily. It was dated two weeks before we started rebuilding the school. Didn't you say the school had been destroyed, like, two years ago? Yes, replied Great Uncle Stephen. It had been. There was a silence as I felt goosebumps on my arm. The images that came to my mind were almost too overwhelming to express, but Great Uncle Stephen put them into words effortlessly. Clearly, he had spent his whole life thinking about it. This man, this Stanislav, went to a vandalized, falling-apart schoolhouse and cleaned up blood and rubble like it was spilled drinks and dust. He smiled at dead bodies in the hallway and believed they were smiling back at him because they liked his radio. He moved around corpses so he could sweep the ground around him. The roof was half collapsed, so when it rained it must have gotten soaking wet, but was so oblivious that he didn't even feel a thing. I could hear Olivia crying steadily. I found the larder he was talking about. It was all pickled, preserved food that probably tasted like shit. Most of the stuff was moldy. Did, did you see the dead body? Yes, hanging from the ceiling, but still amazingly lifelike. It wasn't rotting away. This hadn't happened years ago. Did he look peaceful? She asked, a chord of desperation in her voice. Couldn't tell you. The smell was rank, and his face was blue, and his eyes were bulging, like this. I imagined him demonstrating. The radio? Olivia wept. I heard Great Uncle Stephen take a long drag of his cigarette. It was there, all right. And it was still on. I hope you enjoyed The Living History Project by author Christine O'Neill. Up next, we've got a tale from author Ronnie Fordham about what can go wrong in a town where crimes are committed in broad daylight and no one has any idea who's behind them and how one father chooses to deal with it. Before we dive into the dismal depths of yet another terrifying tale, however, allow me to tell you about today's sponsor, Skylight Frame the ingenious product that, unlike what's lurking in our next tale, is sure to put a smile on everyone's face. As we all know, or if you didn't, you do now, Mother's Day is just around the corner. Well, this year, with that special day quickly approaching, I no longer have to guess about the perfect gift, and neither do you. That's because there's one gift that thousands of moms have been calling the best gift ever. It's called Skylight, and it's a photo frame you can email photos to anytime from anywhere. It sets up effortlessly in under 60 seconds. Just plug in, use the touch screen to connect to your wireless network, and enjoy. Sending photos to Skylight is effortless. Everyone in the family can just email photos to Mom Skylight, 
and they'll pop up in her home in seconds. It has a black frame, so it looks like a real photo frame that adds a beautiful touch to your home. Skylight Frame has a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen. You can swipe through photos with your finger and even tap to thank the person who sent the photo. And best of all, your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed. If you don't love your Skylight, they'll offer you a full refund. Not only that, but you can preload it with your favorite photos for a personalized gift. Send pictures of you and your significant other, spouse, grandparent, etc., that they didn't even know you had. You can even tap the heart button, and it'll let the sender know that you love the photo. This makes the frame interactive and fun to use. Now, I gotta tell you, I chat with Craig Groshek, program director, just about every week, and we've had the pleasure of trying out some really great products as featured on this show. But Craig has never been as excited about anything as he was about the Skylight Frame. You see, Craig's got a family of five, including three boys, and if you've got small kids, or know any, you know how challenging it can be to get the perfect family portrait done right every year, in time for the holidays, and sometimes how hard it can be to choose which shot from the session to send to your loved ones. Well, Craig got the chance to try out the Skylight Frame this past holiday season and discovered it was the perfect gift for his own parents, who aren't big on new technology and who have trouble, as some do, with keeping up with all the new gadgets every year, but still love to see what their grandkids are up to. Now, Craig's parents are getting brand new snaps of his son's family and his three grandkids without having to lift a finger. When they stop back in after a day of grocery shopping, they discover new pictures loaded on their frame daily with the touchscreen with a single tap, and they can tell Craig just how much they love each one. This time, Craig sent a new batch of photos. His parents called him to express their amazement at how fast they showed up and how many the frame could store at once. Even better, Craig's not the only one that can send photos to the device. Just give the frame's unique email address to friends and family, and they can send their latest photo shots too. And it still takes up just one spot on his wall. After all, who wants to spend an entire afternoon hanging portraits? You wouldn't do that to your parents, would you? And certainly, now your own mother on Mother's Day. <laughs> now, as a special Mother's Day offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a skylight frame when you text TOLD to 484848. That's right. Get $10 off your purchase of a skylight frame. Just text TOLD to 484848. That's T-O-L-D to 4848. By using that code, you'll be sure to let them know Otis Jarvie sent you, and nothing would make this old storyteller happier to know that uh, you put a smile on your loved one's faces this year, and then I helped even a little with that. Now, without further ado, grab your safety blanket and hold on tight. Our third story tonight is ready to give you that feeling that you're being followed. And not only in the dark of night. Stay tuned. Our third tale of terror this evening is presented by author Ronnie Fordham. I give to you, my son is terrified of the Daystalker. Newton, Georgia is a small town near the Alabama border. Less than an hour away from Stanwick, my husband Robert's hometown. Newton's your typical one Walmart, one high school town. People are friendly, and every November the weather starts getting a little cooler. But there's also quite a bit of history in Newton as well. Some of it ugly, some interesting. But recently, we started getting some new history in this small town. A dark notoriety. You see, Newton was a quiet all-American town, well before it became home to the Daystalker. 
The police and press don't know anything about the killer. For all we know, the stalker could have been male, female, whatever. It didn't matter. There were no clues, just a bizarre M.O., a victim that always went missing in the daytime. All of the victims were suspected to have been taken during the day. Morning, afternoon, evening, it didn't matter to the stalker. Then, like clockwork, the bodies were found a little less than twenty-four hours later, always in a remote location, always in the daytime. It turns out the stalker was a pure sunrise-sundown serial killer. The murders had been piling up for about a year now, a year of panic and turmoil, and yes, the media went fucking nuts. We had national and local affiliates patrolling the town like a swarm of buzzards, all of them rude as fuck. I dealt with the chaos for a while. After all, I was one of the local beat writers for the Rockdale Citizen, our bi-weekly paper. Well, I say, well, should say, I was a writer for them. The intrusive invasion of all these other pretentious reporters killed my action. All anyone ever wrote about was the Daystalker, and these national writers all had a hell of a lot more resources than I did. More ways to bullshit the lack of information, at least. And since I didn't cover sports or local history, I was among the first of the Rockdale casualties. So I was laid off a few weeks ago. I guess Rockdale figured they'd let the big boys cover the Daystalker. I was expendable. Well, eh, whatever. Fuck em. I didn't need that shit paper. I had a degree. Robert made good money on the police force. Me and him would still live in the heart of the Newton suburbia. Only now I had more time to write. Yeah, that's right. Local Newton reporter Michelle Lenz was now going to become a world-famous novelist. Or at least I was going to make my umpteenth attempt at it. Most importantly, though, I now had more time with my son Billy. Billy was eight and was scared shitless by the stalker coverage. I couldn't blame him, considering the fear that swept over the community like a thick fog. And, like in a thick fog, we couldn't see who the killer was. We didn't know who'd be next. And even in the daytime, we had no idea when the stalker would strike again. Regardless of all the press, us Newtonites felt totally isolated. Nothing more than helpless pawns for his exploitive, well, news story. During the long layoff, I spent more time with Billy. I think having him around me comforted him. Gone were those long work nights spent at the office or covering local elections. Shit, I could even pick Billy up from school on time without having him wait over an hour like an embarrassed orphan. Now Billy and I were closer than ever. While Robert was stressed and overworked with the other officers, I became like both a mother and father for Billy, both the nurturing mama and devoted daddy. We'd even play catch together in those cool autumn evenings. From what I saw, my constant unemployment gave Billy constant reassurance, constant safety from the plague of unease brought upon us by both the stalker and the stifling media. Everything in Newton was so tumultuous these days. The feeding frenzy of news cameras and asshole anchors. They made it tough to do anything in our little town. Traffic got it congested. Crowds conquered the city. And, of course, putting Billy to sleep was harder than ever. With Robert gone most nights, I was always there at Billy's bedside. A lot of nights, I even fell asleep lying right next to him. A Scooby-Doo book, usually on my chest. But tonight was no different. 
There we were laying on his bed, in Billy's bomb shelter of a bedroom. There were shelves of action figures, the Scooby-Doo dolls, and the countless comic books. Billy was interested in the scary stuff, just not old enough to handle the real disturbing stuff. In his room, Billy cowered beneath his Superman blankets like a terrified soldier hiding in the trenches. I could sense his unease, his trembling timidity. Billy's nervous, yet another victim of the day stalker. But I was there by his side. I held Billy close, my arm draped around him like a shield, all while reading him the latest adventure of Scooby-Doo. The illustrated monsters provided us a safe spookiness from the all-too-real horror conquering our small town. As I finished the last page, I looked over and saw Billy's eyes glued to the window, perpetual worry on his young face. I squeezed his shoulder. Hey, I said in a soft tone. Startled, Billy looked at me with a quivering eyes. It's okay, Billy, I comforted him. But what if he's out there? Billy asked in a low voice. His nervous gaze drifted back to the window, to our backyard. The lighting outside illuminated the small yard, a perfect lawn I'd kept pristine due to all my free time. Even the shed out back looked nice. The opposite of the dilapidated eyesores that most of our neighbors had allowed theirs to turn into. I closed the book and laid it on the nightstand. I could see it was going to take more than Scooby-Doo to ease my baby's fears. His not the caring mother. I leaned in closer. I promise. Billy faced me. He could see the confidence radiate off my warm smile. He won't get you at night, I said to him. I rubbed Billy's shoulders. The day stalker only comes out in the daytime, remember? Yeah, Billy said, his voice still full of trepidation. I kissed his forehead like a lifetime mom's kiss. Only mine was sincere. You're safe at night, sweetie. I promise you, you are. Silent, Billy just looked at me with his big, bright eyes. Ain't no one gonna get you, I continued. I pinched Billy's cheek. Not as long as I'm here. But what about the daytime? Billy asked in a tremble. What about it? Like a paranoid scud, Billy stole another glance out the window. What if he gets me in the daytime? Grinning, I pulled him in closer. Sweetie, you'll be in school. I followed his gaze out the window, out at our lovely lawn. And when you're not, I'm with you. Okay? Mommy's going to be here a lot now. I'm going to take you to school and take you back home. My playful hands threatened to tickle Billy. He couldn't help but laugh as he leaned in toward me. The chuckling alleviated Billy's scared state, music to my desperate ears. Mommy's never leaving you, baby, I reassured him. I'm always with you, remember that. I know, his lingering smile relieved me. Even a weak smile was better than seeing your eight-year-old son so dominated by unease. And Daddy will protect us, too, and you know he's tough. Like you. With the confidence of Wonder Woman, I strengthened my hold on Billy, showing off my physical and emotional strength. You got that right. Right before I could give him another kiss, Billy's small hand blocked me. But Mom... Yes? What about Jody? He said, his voice a mere whimper, like he was asking a question he wasn't sure he wanted the answer to. Like he didn't want the answer. Jody? I asked, keeping my smile. That girl from school. Yeah. He peeked out the window. I'm worried about her, he faced me. Is she going to be safe, too? 
Supportive, I cradled Billy in my arms. Yes. And this time I did tickle him. I promise you, Jody will be fine. Billy giggled like a grade school maniac, so much so he almost fell off the bed. Grinning, I held him steady with my arms. Jody's safe, okay? Both of y'all are. Still laughing, Billy wrapped an arm around my neck. Okay. Like a victorious mama, I planted a kiss on Billy's soft cheek. Full of joy, we looked on at each other's smiling faces. My job here was done in this arena of toys and superheroes. But deep down, I knew I died. One of the few lies I'd ever tell my son. Less than thirty minutes later, Billy was sound asleep. He slept heavy, too. I could go berserk in that room, but he'd never wake up. The cartoons I'd left on his flat screen were more effective than a sleeping pill. Billy didn't even budge when I stepped off the bed. I'd left him some juice and cookies on the nightstand. A little something extra in the grape juice, just in case Billy were to wake up in those next few hours. I turned off the lights in the backyard, like I always did for those late-night rituals. Dressed in my hoodie and jeans, I walked alone toward the shed. The November coldness did nothing against the warm excitement I felt within. You see, I hadn't told Billy a complete lie. He was safe, and he would always be safe. Unfortunately, I just had to lie about Jody. When she skipped school today, the opportunity was too perfect to pass up. Like when the naive fly just happens to land on that vicious trap. The little girl should have known better. After all, Newton isn't the town for skipping class. Not when the daystalker lurks about in those mornings and afternoons. I stepped inside my shed, trembling with never-ending excitement. My hand managed to lock the door behind me. The hanging small light bulb broadcast little Jody Marks lying on a table in the back. She was out cold, naked, bound and gagged in duct tape with tight precision, like a patient waiting surgery. Only there was going to be no drugs to ease the pain. I'd awaken her soon enough. I always woke them before I got started. Behind her waited all my tools, items on the pegboard and shelves, knives, spades, hammers, all sort of vicious weapons, all at my disposal. My exhilaration warming me from the shed's coldness, I walked up to the arsenal of weapons. My eager eyes scanned each and every one of them. My touch caressed them. There were so many choices. Throughout my pregame ritual, I realized no one in the media would ever know that forcing me out of Rockdale had only increased my reign of terror. Back when I was working, I had a tough time with the schedule. Balancing being a mother, wife, reporter, and killer was tough. But now, well, I had all the free time in the world. While Bella was in school, I had all day to do what I wanted to do to indulge in my sick pleasures. And tomorrow, after dropping Billy off, the police would discover what was left of Jody's body. Like a musician releasing a surprise album, I'd dump a corpse somewhere to continue this circus. My world tour of slaughter. Everyone would still fear me. They'd still be terrified of the Daystalker. And through it all, Billy would always be safe. That much was true. Our relationship would never suffer. I may hurt others, but I'd never dare hurt him. I love Billy. While he may forever live in fear of the Stalker, he'll forever love me. Finally, I settled on my sharpest garden spade. In the blade's reflection, all I saw was my wide smile, my day-stalker face. 
like a demented child at Christmas. Only I was going to have much more fun. Holding the weapon, I looked over at Jody. In just a few moments, I'd wake her. Then her helpless eyes would watch me make the first vicious wound. Her screams suppressed, her body trapped. Sure, I was the daystalker. I collected my victims during those long afternoons, and I'd dispose of their bodies early in the morning. But the real work, the real fun part, always happened at night. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season, or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show, but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases, including premium versions of our other shows. Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Skylight Frame, for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a special Mother's Day offer, my listeners can get $10 off your purchases of a skylight frame when you text TOLD to 484848. That's right. Get $10 off your purchase of a skylight frame. Just text TOLD to 484848. That's T-O-L-D to 48. Four eight four eight. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs>
to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.